All right, hi everybody. Uh, welcome to the first Beth Lida Shear since Pesach. Very exciting. Uh, we're start. We're launching a whole new, a whole new zman, right? Actually, in the yeshiva world, um, the zmanim are are commonly actually divided by the holidays. So there's like a short Elul zman that's focused on like spiritual work before Rosh Hashanah Kippur, um, and then you take a break because of Sukkot, basically, and then after Sukkot you start. You know, you start class, which is the winter's man, technically. It's actually why you say on Shmiyat Saras, you actually wish people a good winter. Say so you have a good winter. Um, and then you basically learn through until Pesach. And that's, that's the Choref's man. And then after Pesach, it's, it's, it's the spring uh, or the summer. It's usually called Zman, Zumer's man. Um, so we're on our new Zman. It's very exciting. We have a new class that's starting on Mondays, all about the spiritual, mystical significance of Spirata Omer delving into the significance of each week's sphera. But uh, this Thursday, we're staying, uh, we're staying hearty and true with learning the Torah portion. And we're going to focus um, this week on a more, uh, more of a narrow um, object of our analysis. In this case, we're going to look at the tragic, seemingly tragic, tale of the demise of Nadav and Avihu, the two eldest sons of Aaron Akoyim. And it is a shocking moment. It happens kind of, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a surprising interruption because we've just kind of been lulled into the security of learning all about the sacrifices and stuff. And while the bulk of Parsha Shmini is about which animals are pure and impure, in the, but it, it begins with this quick narratival interruption in which it talks about this surprising and sad moment in which the um, supposed, the, you know, the, who were supposed to be the the inheritors of Aaron's legacy, end up passing away. And I think actually one theme that we've seen come up again and again in our partial learning is that the firstborns uh, never have an easy time and often don't survive. So um, here, we, you know, the, that that trend continues, I suppose. So I'm going to share a screen, and we can look at look at all these fun sources. New format, very exciting. Um, so, um, but first, before we begin, before we like kind of move through and kind of become, you know, we just kind of focus on the specific um, for Ashim, the specific uh, commentators, I want us just to start by looking just at the central text. So it's the one on the farthest left. You see where my, do you see my mouse when I do this? Okay, great, so it, it's this. Okay, so we start. So it says, now, Aaron's sons, Nadav and Avihu, each took their own fire pan, right? They're like, uh, their grill, their gr they're, they're uh, you know, they're holding their coals, and they put it, um, they put fire in it, right? They lit it on fire and they laid incense in it. So all this seems fine, right? It seems like this is the way you offer the incense offering. And they offered it before God, except here is a, and here is a strange phrase, Eish Zara, which is translated as a strange fire, alien fire, an inappropriate fire, something like that. Which God did not command. Okay, so it seems like already in the pshat of the verse, there's something wrong here, right? Nadav and Avihu did something, uh, made a mistake. They offered something that God didn't ask for, one, and they offered a strange fire. So that seems like that deviates from the normal course of events. Now the question is raised, why is it the case that, I mean, why were they punished? As we're going to see, the punishment is swift, and complete. Right, the fire came forth from before God. And consumed them. Right, God is famously called in Devarim, right, a consuming fire. And they died before God. So it seems like something went wrong enough that they were, you know, they, that they ended up actually they're, uh, being killed. Um, now, why? Right, it's left up in the air. It doesn't specify why, let's say, deviating from doing the correct order of the sacrifices is a capital punishment. Right, that's not clear, actually. That's never, 
that's never specified, right? There are a lot of things that you do say actually there's something wrong, but usually when it comes to um, violating the boundaries or the rules and regulations of the temple, the punishment is usually kares, right? It's usually spiritual excision, um, spiritual exile, right? Not uh, death from heaven. So this seems harsh and intense. So what is it that's going on here, right? It seems like, it seems like, you know, there, the notion of doing something that God didn't ask for, we actually have, an, we have that category in the sacrifices. You are allowed to bring a sacrifice that God didn't ask for. It's called a nadava offering. It's called a generosity offering. You're allowed to give a bonus to God. Why not? So it seems like doing something that God didn't ask for isn't inherently a problem. And whatever this Aish Zora is, this alien strange fire, unclear what exactly is entailed by it. So it's worth exploring, and we're and we're going to get into it. But uh, what what just before we get into the into the commentary and the like, I'm just curious what your kind of just immediate reactions are. You know, again, there's no right or wrong. You don't need to. Agree. There's a zillion perspectives we're going to look at. So, Baruch Hashem, Torah is infinite. So you know, what's what's just your what's your immediate take on it? I've always been, um, I've always wondered what exactly they did to deserve death. But well, we'll look at a Midrash that, pro that proposes some ideas in that regard, for sure. And I think that's really the central question here is, I mean, what, why, why such a harsh punishment? And then we're actually going to get to question whether, in a sense, it even was a harsh punishment, too. We're going to look at a real a range, of, a range of perspectives on this. Aaron was significantly, sorry, Aaron was significantly punished also by this. Yes, good. So yeah, and that's that. I really want to focus. Although that's not the focus on this. That is that's that's a whole nother class. So tune in next year. But Vayomer um, Moshe Aaron, right? Moses. Interestingly, God actually tasks Moses with telling this to. I mean, it seems to Aaron, who I shared Dibar Shemli more. Like, this is what God meant when God said, So this is what God meant when God said, Through those near to me, I will show myself holy and gain glory before all the people. So it's through this? It's through, I guess, like the rigorous protection of God's dignity in some way? That God says, actually, I need to, in a sense, make an example out of this. And then the most, and this, uh, these two words, right? The, probably the saddest two words in the entire Torah. And Aaron was silent. Right? And there's a lot to be said about, like, processing grief and processing trauma and its unspeakable nature and things like that. Again, that's the, that's the focus of a whole other class. I don't want to give it short shrift. Now, it's worth noting that one of the reasons that's given for, um, for Nadav and Avihu's demise is that later on in the Parsha, it says actually that the priests should not enter the um, enter the enter the sanctum uh, intoxicated. So it seems like we see from the midrash that's one of the, you know through what's called a, a hekesh reading, right? The rabbis are always looking to see what's bumping up against each other in the Torah. It's never just an accident that the two things are next to each other, like the way in which like we we studied earlier this year, the uh, labors that were used to design the temple. Um, are immediately followed by a law about Shabbat. And from that, we learn that the 39 malachos of building Mishkan are the ways that we, what we don't do on Shabbat, right? The kind of negative castle that we, the negative temple that we build. Um, so here we have the fact that, like God says later, do not enter the temple intoxicated. It might mean that Nadavana, it might be hinting at the fact that Nadavana Vihu were not being properly respectful, properly. Um, dignified in their offering, right? Which means that maybe they screwed something up because it's a very, you know, it's a very complex and complicated order of affairs. It's not easy to be a Kohen. It's not easy. Um, so, you know, that's possible. And also, like, the notion, I mean, imagine, imagine, um, imagine Justin Trudeau giving a, a, an address to the public in which he is high, right? And just like blase, cracking wise, not treating something with the severe, with the dig, with the, uh, the importance of the moment, right? So there's something to be said about the fact that like we have these people who are public functionaries, 
right? And they're supposed to represent the value that we invest in the system that they serve. And for them just to treat that lightly, right? I mean, I know this, you know, as working in clergy, right, is that you have to be very aware of the fact that you are representing people and that they, they, they deserve your, your dignity and your respect because they're investing in you. And there's something to be said for that. So similarly, you know, so if a Nadav and Avihu are, you know, uh, not treating the moment with the importance that it deserves, you know, you can understand that. But why not? Why weren't they just, like, fired? I mean, I guess they were fired. But why weren't they, um, why weren't they let go of their jobs, right? Like, I guess maybe you can't, like, maybe you can't get fired from being a Cohen. It's an inherited position, so there's maybe no way out of it. I don't know. But, okay, so the, the Midrash Tanchuma, and this is Buber's edition of the Tanchuma, the Midrash Tanchuma says, um, in four places we recall the death of Aaron Cohen. This here, and there's a Leviticus 16, which we'll look at soon, and then there's, like, brief mentions in, in, in Exodus I think even in Exodus and also in the Midbar. And it says that we always actually remember their surchanan. We always remember the thing they did wrong too. And it specifies what was it exactly that they did wrong. So they bar kapara b'shem rabbi yirmiya bar elazar amar bishvil arba devarim mesu banav shel aron. Four reasons they died. Al hakriva v'al hakrava v'al ash zara v'al shelo natlu eitzah zemizeh. So about the um, about the way that they offered it, about the offering itself, about the strange fire, whatever that was, is not specified, and because they didn't actually look to each other for advice or counsel. Now that's very interesting. So it seems like a breakdown in communication is, I think, the most striking aspect of what the Tanchuma is assigning for responsibility for their death. That what is it actually to be a you know to be a coin in a way is to be kind of like an angelic representative on earth, and the way that we the the big <laughs> the the big the the main image we see of the angels from Isaiah and then all the way through the Shacharis morning service that we daven is that the angels turn to each other and say, right, koanim are supposed to be communicative. They're a channel of communication between us and God. That's what we talked about the last couple few weeks. And between each other, they need to keep the channels of communication open. So that vertical communication and the horizontal communication, it all needs to be, and even the radial communication with you and yourself, you know, and if that's getting in the way, then that's, that's a problem. Yeah, um, Yitzchak saying they went rogue. Uh, and that's, you know, a rogue coin cannot be tolerated. Um, so it says here, the ala kriva, right, about, the off, about how they offered it, shenichnesu lifnei vilifnim, they went too far. Right, so only only the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur is allowed to go in the Kodesh Kadashim. So the Midrash is saying, ah, they actually went to the they went too far. You're not supposed to, and again, that's a way of like denigrating or desecrating what's supposed to be important and holy. The holy of holies is the holy of holies. You don't just go in there. You don't go in there because you want to. You go in there because you're given permission to, and that's in a very specific. Uh, circumstance. So they de so they desecrated a sacred space. Viala krava about the offering itself. Shekrivu korban mashalonitstavu. They offered something that was not commanded. So it seems like maybe I mean maybe that's worse than just like offering something extra. Maybe they did it in a way that violated it. Vial esh zara sheviu eshmi base kiraim. They actually brought the fire from not from a sacred not from a separate fire, but they brought it from like the kitchen, effectively. And I mean, think about what that would mean. Again, it's it's like, um, what is that like? It's like, uh, yeah. I always think of the the scene in um, Ushpizin mm -hmm. where somebody uses the Shabbos candles to light a cigarette. Yes, very good. I mean, that is a classic uh, fire, moment fire, right fire, there. Fire, fire. Yeah, exactly. Now, I mean, yeah, exactly. It's like. It's like using, yeah, it's like using your Shabbos can I mean, it's the opposite, right? You're taking something sacred and doing something unholy with it. Um, but that's, you know, that's, it shows that those, you know, it's, it's again, a way of, of showing a denigration or a lack of a show of respect. Um, and I'm trying to think of what would the opposite of that be. Like, it's like taking, like, a leftover rep. Hmm. It's like... 
don't know. I'm trying to think of like what would be something like you take something from like the you know from from the from the extra from it's like giving somebody a gift of something that you have something left over. Right? I think that's a good example. Right? Like let's say you like someone gave you two board games, the same board game or whatever, and you're like, oh, I'll just re-gift this one to my friend. Like, it's showing that, like, it's just convenient. You know, it's not something that you're putting intention and thought into. It's not something that you're treating with the dignity it deserves. So that's, interestingly, that's a shizara to them. It's not idolatrous, necessarily. Well, that's usually the way it's taken. Maybe they use, like, I, maybe they were idolaters. Maybe they were, like, secret heretics. But here it says, actually, what it was, it's not that they were secret heretics, it's that they, 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 they conflated the sacred and the profane. Right, that they weren't able to keep attention and keep intention when it comes to what it means to treat something as holy and separate and sacred. Just to treat something... I mean, there's one thing to do to sanctify the profane. And there's something very different as just treating the profane as if it's the same as the holy. Right, it really kind of... It, it, it shunts it away in terms of its, in terms of its special quality. And it doesn't feel the need to even explain that, because it's clear what the problem is. The Kohanim need to be talking to each other. You can't go rogue. It's not a solo endeavor. It's supposed to be something, it's kind of like being part, and I'm sorry, Maxine's not here tonight, it's like being part of a ballet troupe, right? You are part of a beautiful, not a machine, but like a, a beautiful organization, and each member of it is working in their own way, but the key is how your bodies communicate with each other, right? How you are talking to each other. If you're just like, I'm just like chasing my own bliss, I'm just chasing my own dragon or what have you, it loses the point of actually how this is supposed to be, the dignity of how this is supposed to be functioning. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes, so, let's keep on moving. All right, let's see if this works too. Yeah, all right, cool. Uh, all right, so Leviticus 16. So in a couple weeks, we'll see this pop up again, in which says, we, we, hear, we see a, kind of use like a temporal framing, right? It says, Achrimos, the part is called after the death. After the death of whom? After the death of, Arva, of Nadav and Aviyu. So as God says to Moses, after the death of the two sons of Aaron, Bikarvasam lifnei Hashem vayamusu. That's all we get about that. So it's just a quick throwaway pasuk, but the way that it's now framed, make it, it shifts its quality. Before, Esh Zara, Shalonitztavu, right? They offered a strange fire, bad. Because it wasn't commanded, bad. But here, in the Pasuk, it says, God says to Moses, after the death of Aaron's sons, Nadav and Avihu, in their drawing, and here the the translation makes a choice. The word to is not in the Hebrew. And they're drawing close before God and died. The too close is trying to, is trying to smush Leviticus 16 into Leviticus 10. Do you see that? They're taking the negative resonance of strange fire, weren't commanded, you know, executed by God and saying, oh, of course, when Leviticus 16 says they drew close to God, it must also be a critique of them. But that's not in the shot. It doesn't say they're drawing too close. It says that they're drawing close. And that ambiguity, or let's say lack of clear negative uh, resonance, valence, is a very interesting and fruitful um, tension that develops. Namely, so the Midrash and the Leviticus 10 version of this is that, and there's a lot of other Midrashim, but that was just like a kind of a clear example of it, is that they were put to death because they did something wrong. Offered a strange fire. Did it in the wrong way. But here, there's no moral judgment. There's a recognition that drawing close to God means that death is possible. That's not a punishment necessarily, but is rather maybe an opening to the mystical, a notion of a mystical death in coming close to God, coming close to a source of power, right? Power, 
drawing. Um, so my my uh, my my colleague and friend Ariel Mays wrote a lovely article actually about this theme called "Like a Moth to a Flame." Um, I'm happy to share if anyone wants to read it after the class. And he and I actually were in a chavrusa together. We we learned these sources together when he was preparing the article. So it's fun to revisit this stuff. But in that you know, like, but that thing like a moth to a flame, right? You are drawn to a source of great power, but you but you don't know, but in your back of your mind, you know, there's no way in a sense to come out of it unscathed. It's what um, the phenomenologist Rudolf Otto called mysterium tremendums, the, the, the mysterious, just like quaking in your body of just, or, or the fascinans, you're fascinated by, you're drawn to, you're attracted to the source of power. Power is something that transcends good and evil. Right? Power is something that can be used in good ways and used in bad ways. Power is something that is bigger than us. And because of that, it might consume us. So it might not be bad that they died, according to this pasuk. It might just, in a sense, be the cost of doing business. It's, it's, it's the real recognition of the power and the danger that comes with that power. Part of the reason I wanted to teach this class is from also a couple of conversations I was having with Renee and emails with Lauren in the learning that we we're doing about Kabbalah. That in Kabbalah, there's an access that is given to a source without the mediation, right? And that's why there's so many teachings and so much protection and so many siyagim, so many fences around it. The reason isn't to keep people away to punish people, but the reason is because you treat it with the respect it deserves. This is what it means to come close to something real. And I think here we have in Nadav and Avihu a fascinating example of what, of, of what ends up becoming um, paradigms for the risks of coming close to God, but also in a way, you know, the, the agony and the ecstasy, right? The, the power and the punishment. But I think here what we have is the recognition that this is something that's bigger than our kind of paltry judgmental categories. So let's keep on moving. So we see this text in Sifra. So Sifra is the Tanaitic Midrash on Leviticus. So early rabbinic midrash on Leviticus. And here we see an alternative midrashic take that's a, that's a lot more sympathetic to Nadav and Avihu's, I would say, proto-mystical experience. So we'll see. Vayikhu b'nei Aharon. They took up, right? They took up. What did they take up? Well, let's go back to the source. They took up. Here, we'll get rid of 16. I don't really need it. Um, there we go. What did they take up? They took up their, um, their, uh, their fire pans. Okay, so they took up their fire pans. Afheim besim chasam. In their joy. In their happiness. In their ecstasy. Kevon shirau esh chadasha. And when they saw a new fire, aho! A different way of thinking about the strange fire. It's strange because it's new. So they're excited by something new in their life. They're excited by this new contact with God. You know, the new fire. Right? So when they saw this new fire, Amdu Lahosif Ava Al Ava, they got up to add love on top of love. Some real, like, hippie stuff. Vayikhu. They took up another, like, drush on this. Ein kicha. There's no taking. Elasimcha. Whenever you see the word taking in Hebrew, it implies joy. It implies happiness. It's like they lifted themselves up. They took themselves up. They were just rising up. Right? It's an upward. It's an uplift motion. Nadavi avihu. Ma talmud lamar haron. Why does the, it says their names, Nadav and Avihu, so why does the Torah make sure to also call them the children of Aaron? Why isn't it enough just to say their first names? 
Shalo chalku kivod la'aron, because they didn't disrespect Aaron. They didn't take away from his respect. So here we have a pushback. Nadav and Avihu did not denigrate the family name. They did, you know, what is it? Nadav and Avihu, it's like, you know, it's, um, uh, you know, it's the Brittany did nothing wrong, but for the Torah, right? Nadav and Avihu did nothing wrong. Defend Nadav and Avihu. I will lay down my life for Nadav and Avihu, right? They, you know, this is the Nadav and Avihu defense squad. They didn't do anything wrong. They just got really excited about davening, effectively. They got really excited about, like, worshiping God. There are worse things, says the Midrash. Um, so here we have, returning actually to the point that maybe they did do something, that they didn't confer one with another. Um, says Rabbi Shmuel, are yachol eish zara mamish? So Rabbi Shmuel saying, could it really have been a strange fire? He's saying, could it really have been idolatrous? And he says, no, because it's asher lot siva osam, because it's a fire that they weren't commanded about. So he ends up like turning the volume down on this strange fire and saying, it's because they offered it extra, because they were so excited. But here I think we have, again, this ambivalence of power. And I would say power is an inherently ambivalent thing. A power is not good or bad. Power, whoa, look at those lights. Um, power is not good or bad. Power just is. Right? And so they got excited, and that excitement just is. And that excitement drew them to the power, and it had a consequence. The consequence was they, they lost their lives. But their excitement, in a way, you could say, got the better of them. Perhaps curiosity kills the coin. That's possible. But it's not that they, that they violated the temple. Right? Do we see the difference here? The Sifra notices the lack of judgment in Vayikra 16, and it says, they came close to God and they died. Because to come close to God is to come close to the source of reality. And if you get excited and drawn to that, that's a consequence. That's a potential consequence. Um, it, it does kind of end up offering some other ideas, actually, that they ended up disrespecting Moses because they, like, taught a halacha in front of Moses and disrespected their teacher, and that was what they did wrong. But again, here in the beginning of it says they got real. I want to focus on the happiness part because that's what's going to get picked up by the Zohar. Rene, yes. Um, I'm wondering, are there any similarities or connections between this story and um the golden calf oh no what did happen um stories between this and the golden calf you know that's a great question um i you know like do like do maforshi make that connection yeah has anybody ever drawn a connection because it seems very similar that um you know that these two guys they just wanted a place to put their spiritual energy yeah. And the same thing happened for the golden calf, right? People just were so, you know, they wanted to put their spiritual energy somewhere. And so they got desperate and then the golden calf came about. But I'm just wondering right. if this is similar in any way, if there's any words or phrases that were used that are similar. That's very uh, interesting. That's a great question. I, I, nothing comes to mind. I'll keep, I, I'll keep on thinking about it. But I think, again, you know, the, the, the Sifra perspective that we're going to see uh, of, like, the, of, like, you know, kind of a, the, the displacement, right? The accidental at assignment of that kind of devotion. I think, you know, the difference is that with, you know, most people don't see it as a problem of idolatry. Like, most people do, like, say, Zara is really, like, an issue of an error or a mistake, per se. Whereas, you know, the golden calf is, ends up being like a, a much more, in a way, a, a more serious uh, violation of monotheism. But, you know, I think that's a, I, th I think, I think that's a great intertext you're bringing in, Renee. So you are, you are the commentator who is making that connection. Gewalt. Um, okay. So um, I want to look at the Zohar. We're just going to kind of peek at it really quick because it's long. But I just want to bring your attention to a little bit of it. So it, it, I think it's an intensification of the early part of that Sifra. It says, so later in it, we're not going to look at it, but later it says actually that they were tzaddikim. I actually called Nadav and Avihu righteous. Right now, that is a pushback on the Tanhuma, right? Bad guys, says Tanhuma. No, it says, the Zohar says they're righteous. But again, kind of lahavdil elif of dolas, but... 
like God, a tzaddik is powerful. And the question is, is that like any great person, right, needs to know what it's like to um, correctly use your influence, to correctly use your power, to use those things. So it says, Acharimos Shnei B'nai so quoting on Leviticus 16, after the death of the two sons of Aaron. Rebbe Yitzchak opened. Ivduas Hashem b'yira v'gilu b'ra'ada. This is a classic pairing of psukim. Worship God with fear, with reverence, and celebrate God with, um, rejoice in God with quaking. So here, I mean, we have the notion of focusing on yira, right, on fear, which is also gevura, or the sphere of gevura. And it also says, Ivduas Hashem b'simcha. Right, we don't sing Eve to us Hashem Right, that would be much more of a bummer song. So worship God with joy. Ba'olafan of Birnana, come before God with song. So that one seems to accord, but right, that second pasuk accords better with Sifra, right? And then Enkicha Elasimcha, right? When we say the word take up, we mean joy. But the Zohar is bringing a little bit more of a complex perspective. It says worship God with fear and worship God with joy. Worship God with respect and worship God with excitement. And what did Nadav and Avihu have? They had only excitement, right? They weren't able to channel, and maybe this was what Renee was, was implying, channel that excitement into appropriate boundaries. And that's a very important lesson, I think, in a lot of ways that the world is being forced to learn in a lot of ways, that to have that excitement, you also need to be respectful of boundaries. So it says, Hane karae kashyana hadade. These two psukim contradict each other. What's going on? Worship God with fear, worship God with, with joy. So he says, This is what I teach. Worship God with fear. All worship of God that a person wants to do has to start with Yira. It needs to start with fear. But when I say fear, I really actually think the better word for that is respect. You start worshiping God with respect, right? All relationships start with respect. That's why every Musr Sefer starts with Yira first, and only after that you get to Ava. And that's what the Zohar is saying. This is actually the source for this idea. That's why all the Kabbalistic Musser books always start with Yira and then move on to love. Yeah, Lauren saying the word awe. I think respect, I think, I, I like to, I like respect because respect is the reaction you have when you recognize something's power. You have respect. You recognize boundaries. You recognize, you, you appreciate the space. And once you begin with fear, awe, respect, then after that, then you can start bringing in chedvasa, bringing in joy, bringing in love, bringing in excitement, pikude deraisa, the joy of the of the mitzvahs of the Torah, and that's why it says, What does God want from you? Respect, fear. But again, fears fears doesn't quite work. And it says, "Vigilu birada." It says, and, and, and worship and, and uh, rejoice with God with quaking, with shaking, with like trembling. Because it's only possible for a person to rejoice in this world a certain amount. If you, you can basically OD on ecstasy, right? You overdo it on joy. I think, I really, I mean, I think I see in this a really powerful a really powerful lesson when it comes to a sustainable religious life, right? One that is not based on solely these peak experiences, which can also so often mislead or misconstrue or set standards which are impossible to reach or burn us out. We start with building our vessel, we, the boundaries of Gevura, the respect for what it is that we're engaging in. And then we fill those boundaries with joy and with love.
we have a sustainable relationship to this. Nadav and Avihu, I mean, I, I mean, yes and no. I mean, on the other hand, like, it's also, it's, so it's a defense of Nadav and Avihu in the sense that, I mean, if you're going to go all the way, you're going to go all the way. And that, but that's a path that you walk, and this is what, this is the consequence. Right? Mystical union. But that means, right? It's an exit from this world. And that's like, that's what it's describing. So it's not criticizing them per se, but it's describing what the stakes of the, con of the, of the condition are. Okay. So, um, I, oh no, this is it, okay. So I want to bring our attention to another Kabbalistic commentator, but not a, not a Hasidic one, but we'll end with a couple of Hasidic perspectives, but I think kind of nicely try to synthesize what is going on. Um, so the Orachayim is by the commentator, 18th century commentator, a contemporary of Baal Shem Tov, and they say actually if the Orachayim and the Baal Shem Tov ever met in person in Eretz Yisrael, Mashiach would have come. Well, Baal Shem Tov tried to go, didn't work out. What are you going to do? Uh, but Chaim Ibn Atar was a Moroccan uh, rabbi, but who lived in Palestine in the 18th century. He wrote the famous commentary Or HaChaim, which is a wonderful commentary, very important, especially for early Hasidic writers. It shows up all the time in the Deglamach Ephraim and in the Toldos Yaakov Yosef. So very essential, very essential, Kabbalistically infused commentary. So he says, after listing like all the issues with the with the question of Nadav and Avihu's death, he says, God, the intention of the Pasuk is this. If you pay attention, why is it that God told Moses to tell Aaron this very sad news? Why is it that God told Moses after the death of Aaron's sons? Right? Why is that something told to Moses? Because God is trying to give Moses an Eitzah Taiva, trying, trying to give Moses a cautionary word, advice. Who's allowed to go in the Holy of Holies? It's not Moses. Isn't that interesting? Right, Moses, right, there's no dictatorship of Moses. That was the mistake that the, I mean, back to the golden calf point that Renee was making, that's the mistake that the Israelites made. It's not, we don't, you know, we know what religion we're not part of? Mosesism. Right? Difference between Judaism and Christianity, it's not named after the leader. We observe Judaism. We observe Torah. Right? Moses, despite being, says the Orachim, the closest one to the kingdom of heaven, and in all of his household, he's the most trusted, the most faithful servant. Right? He's called Raya Mehemna, the faithful servant. He should not think that he's allowed to enter the Holy of Holies. Nadav and Avihu are, end up serving as a very sad, so this is back to the, you know, there's two, there's the Tanchuma and there's the Sifra, right? Nadav and Avihu did something wrong and were punished, or Nadav and Avihu came too close to the fire and were consumed. Right? One is critical, one is ambivalent. This one's critical, and saying this is an example to Moses, that because you are special, do not think that you don't have boundaries too. Yes, you're the leader of the people. True. But you don't do everything. You being special does not mean that you, you, take, you, take, um, you take liberties. You should not let that carry, get you carried away. Moses can't let Nadav and Avihu's enthusiasm carry him into losing his life. Right? He's needed to stick around. The people need him. Um, right? So, I mean, it's interesting. He wants to, like, in a sense, have his cake and eat it, too, because he says, Bikir vasam, in their coming close. Lifnei Hashem ve'yamusu, becoming close to God and they die. Perush... This means Hagam Hayosam Maruba Hayosam Why did they die? Because they came 
super close to God. Tosephus Maruba. They came like super extra plus close. They came hyper close to God. That's why they ended up dying, it says. So it recognizes that on one hand, you know, what, what does Moses end up serving as? We're actually going to explore this. This is what the Hasidim are going to pick up on. Nadav and Avihu were the mystics. They were tripping out, right? Just getting super close to God, wiling out, and they exited, they, they, they exited the world. They were, came too close to God, and they were consumed into the source of reality. But Moses, in a sense, doesn't have the liberty to be a mystic. He needs to be a teacher. He needs to be a leader. He needs to be somebody who connects with other people, which is what the Kohanim are supposed to be. Natlu They're supposed to take communication from each other. They're supposed to be communicating with the people. They're supposed to be connecting with the people, not going off on their spiritual ecstatic retreats or they're, they're going beyond the bounds. They forgot and so I think there's a subtle critique here that they forgot that they are at the service of others, not just pursuing their bliss. So again, we have this kind of defense of Nadav and Avihu. It's not that they were punished for doing something wrong. But I think there's a more subtle critique here, not a criticism, but a critique of letting your enthusiasms take control of your life not being able to sustainably relate to them, not being able to channel them into life. Right? In Buddhism, there's different models of what Buddhism, of what Buddhism is. There's, uh, I mean, it's, there's the uh, Hinayana and there's Mahayana, two major models. Hinayana is kind of a critical, it's like the Misnagdim, it's critical language, but it's what's used. Hinayana means the little vessel, Mahayana is the great vessel. In Hinayana Buddhism, the, the, the Bodhisattva, sorry, the, the Buddha escapes the world. Right? They achieve nirvana, and they just go and bliss out in nirvana forever. But in Mahayana, in the great vessel, right, the better version, the bodhisattva achieves enlightenment and returns to the world, because that's real enlightenment. Real enlightenment doesn't mean you escape the world. Real enlightenment realizes that, that other creatures need you. So you're not really enlightened if you're escaping them. That's actually imperfect enlightenment. I think the Hasidim are on the same exact tack because we have this idea of a tzaddik as someone who goes between people. Not a tzaddik that escapes as a mystical virtuoso. There's a tension in the model of the tzaddik. The tzaddik is a mystic, but also a teacher. An ecstatic, but also a leader. And you can't just be egoistical, navel-gazing, lotus-eating, right, on the people's dime. You need to be there for people. The tzaddik is not just communing with God. The tzaddik is a counselor of people. To serve others, you can't unfetter yourself from this world. So our Nadav, Nadav and Avihu are an example, maybe not of sinners who were punished, but maybe of the consequences of bliss in a way. It is not a, a critique against mysticism, but it's a very Jewish critique within mysticism of being conscious of what others need of you and of what you need to do in this world. A worldly mysticism. Renee. Um, so again, I just I wanted to ask if there's any comparisons between Moshe and Aaron and Nadav and Avihu, because what you're describing uh, about the static, it seems like Moshe and Aaron were like a perfect, um, like Moshe was the teacher and Aaron was the mystic. He was the one who could connect with Hashem in the Holy of Holies, but Moshe wasn't able to, but then Moshe was the teacher. So together they made like almost like the perfect static. Yeah. Right. Although, you know, Moses spoke to God face to face. So it's not like Moses had his mystical side, too. And Aaron had his communicative side. But you're, you're right. I mean, Moses as Netzach, Aaron as Hod, right? They are like a classic pairing, for sure. Yeah. So I'm wondering if this is like a, you know, if there's any comparison, um, you know, 
it just seems like, you know, Moshe and Aaron are the ideal, Nadav and Vihu, um, you know, maybe they wanted to be mm. like Moshe and Aaron, but they just didn't make quite make it. I was just wondering mm-hmm. if there's any comparisons between the two. Well, again, you're making the comparison, and it's great, right, that you're saying Nadav and Avihu um, didn't learn the right lessons, right, from their, from Aaron and Moshe. They saw the closeness that they achieved with God, and they thought that was the point. Whereas the closeness that they have with God is actually the service, right, what's channeled into the way that they're able to serve the people. Aaron in the temple, and Moshe Rabbeinu in his judging and in his teaching, Right, and in his leading. Very good. Great point. Um, you are, you know, you look around and you, you look for the, you look for the, the, the Mephorash, you look for the commentator and you can't find them. It turns out you were the commentator the whole time. Um, okay, so I think what we have, you know, per Renee's point, we have that, in, we have exactly that comparison happening in the Orchaim, right? Moses, as somebody who's able to be sustainable, Right, who's re- who has to keep in mind actually that you don't get to do it all. You don't get just to, to escape like into the vortex of the holy of holies. Yes, you have a special relationship with God, but that doesn't empower you or entitle you to um, to withdraw from others. And Adam and Avihu, as as somebody who who got burnt, right, just got consumed by their own enthusiasm, consumed by the ecstasy. And I think the thing is, like, I want to say, like, I've you know, it's not, I don't. Like the Torah, I think, like this thread has sympathy for that. It maybe even it maybe even celebrates it. So here, an Oyev Yisrael is the most, the most defense position of Nadav and Avihu. They're like, yeah, baby, get mystical, let's do it. It says, "Vuhu lichora eno muvan." Why did they die? It's not, it doesn't make sense. They shouldn't have died. Shalonis karsham shum davar machiti berimosha. Right, it says like why? It doesn't even say it doesn't say they said anything to Moses. Venir Dzaya Devar Hashem Lamosh Shalohit Ubinaya Israel Lamar Demisas Shnevene Aaron Hayakip Shuto. Right? The death of the of Aaron's sons was just shot. It was just it just was. Rak Misasam Hayak Bemadrega Eliona Ugvoa Maod. Their death was like a higher level. It was a higher madrega than something you can even achieve. This is like, yeah, baby, they were this is something like it's something beyond. Right, the word after means it's muflag. It means it's separate. It means like you can't even comprehend it. It's beyond us. All right, so I, that's that's just like that's the pro. That's like you know you ask like did Nadav and Avihu write this? Right, this is like listen. They were like really out there. They were tripping out. They were having a good time. Um, Right, and actually, what's it? Viamusu, Rasulamar. It really means to say they died. What does that really mean? Afsher gishu ba'atzmashunishmaseim and bakim b'noyma elyon. What does it mean that they died? They spiritually died in the sense that they felt in their selves that their souls cleaved to the ultimate pleasure. May we all, right? That sounds pretty okay. But hey, Macy Inyan Zet, and they died from mystical bliss. Says the Oev Yisrael. Oev Yisrael, by the way, is um, Avram Yeshua Heschel of Opt, Abraham Joshua Heschel's great great grandfather, great grandfather, um, mid 19th century Hasidic leader. Okay, so that's the pro Nadav and Avihu. And we're just saying, yeah, you know what? They died, that's true, but it's not a critique and it's not a criticism, but rather it's because they were, they were communing in mystical bliss with God and they, and they rejoined the source. There's a wonderful book by Michael Fishbane called The Kiss of God which is all about actually like uh, death and mysticism and contemplation and meditation in Judaism. Really worth reading. Beautiful book. Okay, so that is, that's plus. Here comes the minus. Here comes Rabbi Nachman. Rabbi Nachman has a complicated relationship with enthusiasm and with ecstasy. He's somebody who's very, who always stresses self-awareness. Right, and in some ways he he put, he put, he, propose, he he supports and he um, proffers like a, a a Judaism of simple piety, right? You know, mitzvah uh, mitzvah uh, Right, it's a great mitzvah to be happy always. But what kind of happiness is that? He says. This is actually a commentary on Korach. He says about you know the the, the wicked heretic Korach. He says, avodas elilim nimna matar. No, this isn't the right one. What happened? 
This is the problem of not having the source queued up. There it is. Apologies. There it is. Okay. Nimsa Alide Rikudim. So one of the things that Hasidim like to do, which they were criticized for by their sober, fuddy-duddy, misnogdom critics, was that they would dance, right? They would dance. And nowadays it's become totally, thank God, it's become normalized in Judaism to express your joy and your worship of God with dance. And please God, may may uh, may our world support such dancing in the near future. Shesosa Yainam Sameach, right? You're partying, you're happy, drinking a little wine. Are you having a good time? Shame Shabina. And what is this? This is actually reaching the source of the of the power in Bina, right? This like hyper cosmic consciousness. drawing down this cosmic consciousness into you, into your into your legs. You're drawing God's consciousness of joy into your body, into your legs. That's what it means to dance, he says. And you get rid of all the negative externalities. You get rid of all this nasty stuff. This is the hislavus of dance. Hislavus means burning enthusiasm, excitement, the ecstasy of Nadav and Avihu. This is the ecstasy of dance. And what is it? It's the ishei reach nichoach l'ashem. So it's like you're burning calories and, you're, and the burning calories, the of your body is actually the pleasing fire to God, the sweat, the stink of you dancing, right? That's in place of the sacrifice in the temple. That's the pleasing odor of God. It's you giving it your all on the dance floor. God loves it. God wants it. Except anyone who's been to a club knows not all dancing is necessarily holy. And Rabbi Nachman's very aware of that. He says, Aval. But someone who dances with the enthusiasm of the Yetzer Hora, right, of your ego, of your, let's say, objectifying desires, right, your inappropriate desires, your unethical desires. Oh, so this is anti Nadavanavihu. This is minus, negative. That's the sin of Nadavanavihu. What was their sin, says Rabbi Nachman? The ecstasy is fine. Ecstasy is good. Ecstasy is the pleasing fire to God. But what kind of ecstasy is the strange fire? Is the fire that God doesn't want? That's the ecstasy of your Yetzirah. That's what they were doing wrong. So enthusiasm itself, like power, right? Like that experience, that peak experience, it's not good or bad. The question is what informs it. Is it enthusiasm spurred on by something ethical and virtuous, or is it enthusiasm spurred on by something egotistical, unethical? Right? Bahem Right? That's that's not the that's not the Ishereach uh, Nichoach, that's the that's the strange fire. Um, and actually to Renee's very intuitive point, um, we're not gonna go into this, but Vahod. Just like Aaron and Moses, right? Moses is Netzach. Aaron is Hod in the spherotic arrangement, and per Renee's intuition, Nadav and Aviyu are also Netzach and Hod. We're not going to take that all the way. Okay, so we have, in the Hasidic imaginary of Nadav and Aviyu, we have the Oiv Yisrael cheerleading on Nadav and Aviyu and saying they rejoined with the source of God's essence, the source of existence itself, and their souls cleaved to God and reassimilated into the source of all being. Pretty cool. Rabbi Nachman says they let themselves get carried away. Their enthusiasm was actually from an impure place. They did something, they really violated the temple because they used it to pursue their own desires. They used it to pursue their own Yetzirah. So, uh, this is on the Sifra side, this is on the Tanhuma side. So I want to look at the Noem Elimelech for our last text. This is from Elimelech Lezhensk, an early Hasidic master, a student of the Magid of Mezrich, someone who really focused and, and articulated a theory of Hasidic leadership, someone who was really focused on what is the meaning of a tzaddik. He's seen as like the founder of tzaddikism, which definitely achieved some, let's say, less than virtuous 
manifestations in Hasidic history for sure of like leaders who let their leadership get carried away with them. But Noam Ali Malik was an incredible thinker about what is it to be a Rebbe? Like what is it to be a Tzaddik? And he sees in Nadav Naviyu a really challenging tension that he wants to explore. And it's not enough just to say it's good like the Oyev Yisrael or it's bad like Rebbe Nachman. He's saying it's complex. It's complex. So let's give it the complexity it deserves. Um, so, this is also actually on Korach, interestingly. Um, and here we have. So he's quoting a Gemara. I think it's from Eruvin, if I remember correctly. It says, My taima mesu bene aron shall horu al horu halacha. Right? Why is it the Nadavan view died? Because they taught halacha in front of Moses, right? We saw that before at the end of the Sifra. Or because, another says, because they were drunk when they entered the temple. And it seems surprising. Right? In the Pasuk it says they, they offered a strange fire. And they're giving totally different answers. It seems like a strange fire, should be a sufficient reason to explain. They screwed up the temple offering. They screwed up the sacrificial offering. Sorry. Right? Why is it that the, that the Gemara, the Midrash, had to offer these other examples? Right? They, they subverted Moses' authority, or that they were drunk. Right? Fascinating. It says, the Pasuk says that the sin of Ndavanavihu was that they actually offered the word hediot comes from Greek, it's the word idiot, but it doesn't mean idiot, it means simple. It means normal. Right? There's a Kohen Godol and there's a Kohen Hediot, right? Kohen Hediot is just the norm. So what was the sin in a sense? They offered an Aish Hediot. They offered just a a, a, a normal fire. Except the confusing thing is that it says in the Gemara that if a fire from heaven comes down in the Mishkan, it's a mitzvah that you still have to offer the normal fire. So it seems like they did everything right, says the Noam Elimelech. So why were they punished? So just to clarify, he's, he's saying he's confused. The Eshzara seems to be sufficient reason. Why are there these other reasons? And also, it seems like they did everything right because they offered the normal fire. They took the fire normally instead of using the fire from heaven. It says fire from heaven comes down. You don't use the fire from heaven. You use the normal fire, right? You plant the tree. Then you go see Mashiach. So why were they punished? Right? And that's why these commentators come. Right? To explain their mistake and why they were punished. Here's the explanation. Their intention was quite good. They had the right intention. Because they had such great dvekas, right? They were cleaving to God. They were connecting with God in this powerful, mystical, spiritual way. And dvekas, right, connecting with God, is called fire. Al shem adam mikare vatsmo el or shechinaso u boer bekir boa or agadol keish boeras. Right, God's a consuming fire. Why is a connection with God called a fire? Because you bring yourself close to the light or fire, actually the word in Aramaic, ur, means fire as well, to the fire, to the light of the Shekhinah, which burns within you. And the light is so, as, as great as a burning flame. V'yesh gamkein eshacher. But there's another fire. V'hainu sh'yesh adam cheshek v'ta'anu gashmi v'libo bo'er l'davarahu. And your heart, it's that you have another kind of fire, that you have a desire for physical, material things, and your heart burns for that. Aisha right? the fire of connecting with God is called 
fire from heaven. And the fire of connecting with physical material things is the, is the normal fire, Eshmina Hedyot. But here we're still left with that confusion because it's a mitzvah to offer Eshmina Hedyot, even if the fire from heaven comes. So what was their mistake? What was their mistake? People need to bring everything up above. That's the key to Hasidic worship. As you take what's below and you sanctify it and you raise it up to its source. Even physical pleasures. Even physical delights. So the issue with physical delights is not the thing itself. Just like everything we're seeing, everything is ambivalent. Everything is defined by or informed by how you relate to it. A physical delight is an opportunity, not a trap. It's an opportunity to offer that pleasure up to God in gratitude, in recognition of God's presence within it, in a way that ennobles you, ennobles the way you relate to the world and to the Kashbarahu. But to relate to a physical pleasure as something good in its own right, as something that is, like in a sense, the buck stops there. It has no meaning beyond itself. That's the Eshadiot. That's the profane fire. And this is why I say, even if fire from heaven comes, you still have to give the normal fire. Why? Because when you are cleaving to God, when you are going on your mystical spiritual journey, even though, you know, when you are cleaving to God, or when you are cleaving to God, you don't have a right, in a sense, just to let it take you over. You don't have a right to lower it and just to conflate it and to turn it into your own pleasure. That when you are connecting with God, you actually have a sacred responsibility. You have a sacred responsibility to devote yourself to something higher. So the problem he's saying with Ndavanavihu, again, it's still, it's still complex because he's saying, even if the fire from heaven comes, you still have to offer the profane fire. But they offered the profane fire. So what was the issue? The issue is that, and this is why, and this is, uh, and this is why the other extra explanations were given is because they were trying to bring it actually as a pursuit of their own ends. Their ends of authority, of leadership, trying to become like Moses, or their end of connecting with God, like trying to be like Aaron. They were trying to magnify themselves. So in a way, you know, interestingly, if it was like the Oav Yisrael described it as a pure selfless devotion connection with God, maybe actually they wouldn't have died. Because the issue here, in a way, is that it's asking us to clear out ourselves, to make ourselves a space for God. God wants to dwell here in this world. God wants our silly fires. God wants ourselves. We don't need to take advantage of God. We need to keep our keep our gratitude in mind in terms of what it means to, I think again, in this kind of up and down kind of way, and this is something that, that Noam Elimelech focuses on a lot, to, draw, to connect with God and to bring God back down. Not for our own benefit, but for those of others, for those of other creatures, and for those of the world. That's what it means to be a tzaddik. That's what it means to be a kohen. That's what it means to not, I mean, to be a leader that's what it means to manifest leadership in this world, something that we're all able to do. And we're all able to draw from that source and bring it down into this world. I think we should all be so lucky. We should all have that tzuchus. Uh, may we all find ways to offer a fire 
and a, a sense and experience that is pleasing to God, um, drawing from ourselves and devoting ourselves fully. And I wish us all a, uh, a Shabbat Shalom. And I will see you, God willing, at 6.55 tomorrow for a Kabbalah Shabbos. We'll daven. It'll be sweet. We'll offer our, we'll offer our, our pure and, uh, and gracious worship to God. And uh, 8.55 for Abdallah. And then the, the Spirasa Omer class will start Monday evenings at 7.30. Um, have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak soon. Bye-bye.